back in the day. I mean, I haven't even introed the podcast as I take my jacket off. So I can, yeah, this is ah, very weird for me. It's very odd video, by the way, of you doing <laughs> that while I'm watching here. <laughs> like, what is he doing? Oh, I'm just gearing up. Dude, what is he doing? <laughs> Rubbing my hands together. Adjusting for some hot takes, Tim, is what I'm adjusting for. Okay, enough banter. Do it again. Do it again. Welcome to the House of Strauss. Yeah, go for it. Stars hang with stars, winners hang with winners. Welcome to the House of Strauss. We are joined by Tim Kawakami, the greatest sports writer in the Bay Area for as long as I've lived here, and also my former boss at The Athletic, where he still does fantastic work. I'm going to title this one, Tim, uh, Niners Plus Minus right uh, now. Wait a minute now. You you're, might be stealing from a new title of mine. I, uh, the, uh, I'm throwing out. Yeah, I'll just put it. I mean, not that this mean, means anything to anybody, but. Uh, you kind of know when I'm kind of throwing stuff out on Twitter, I'm not just uh, out of nowhere kind of throwing out some 49ers podcast titles. I think there might be a new one coming out at some point. So, uh, and I was thinking about 49ers plus minus. I really was, but I don't think it quite, I don't know. We, we, we could test case it here. I don't think it quite fits, but maybe you can, you can appropriate it because there was the Warriors plus minus. Energy. Niners point differential. Is that, yeah, is that no, what to go with right It doesn't there? quite work out. It doesn't quite work out, but uh, <laughs> oh, we, we can workshop a lot of different things here. Um, we'll see. Not that, not, not well, that I'm saying anything about anything, right? Nothing not, just means nothing. Mm, but, uh, well, plus I'm minus just, works for I, this one. I just enjoy that I can do this because when I was at The Athletic, there was such a deep roster of people covering the 49ers, including yourself. I had no experience with football, but it's the one thing, Tim, it's the one thing I wanted to do that I didn't get to do. And now I have trapped you in this podcast. <laughs> I think like it's the one thing I told you. I think I told you, like, yeah, maybe that one. <laughs> There's a lot of people at those games, Ethan. But, but no, I let's mean, talk Niners. Let's talk Niners. Ah, uh, this is I'm like I'm like Bob Myers, Tim, who always uh, grabs you, accosts <laughs> yeah. you, and demands demands nuggets of Niners from you. Well, who's, who was um, at the game last night, by the way, at John Lynch's suite? Yeah, he was there and just hang with his dad, his family. It was good to see him. But now, you think with Bob because he's from Danville? Do you think he's just a fan, or do you think it's more of a? It's like what I did, but a little bit different. And I find that curious and I want to know what the what the gears in the watch are. We mean like why he's a 49ers fan or what, well, what kind why of he wants the info, like why he's so interested. Uh, he's, he just know. is. Yeah, I think. Yeah, he's curious about the NFL. He really is like as from a front office standpoint. From a team building standpoint, from a just a general sports standpoint, and as a fan standpoint, like it's all those things. Mm. Like Giants, you know, maybe he just kind of watches from afar. Uh, UCLA is obviously his maybe the thing that's closest to his heart, but you know, I, I just think the 49ers, he's just intrigued from how that works and how it compares to the Warriors and how superstars in football compare to superstars in basketball. Like he's fascinated on that level, which is you know, good for me because that's how I'm interested in the mm. 49ers and the Warriors. It's like, so he know the things that I write about tend to be, you know, it's like roster construction. It's, you know, salary cap m manipulation. It's how you plan for, you know, two years from now, right now, and how you plan for four years from now, right now, and how you get there. Things change on the way to year two. That changes how you think about year four. 
I think Bob has very strong interest in that on the 49ers side because he's he cares a lot about the games, loves the games, loves he's very interested in the games, but also he is looking at it from a front office front per, 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 you know kind of point of view. And it's it's the com- combination of those two. Like I think he's you know he's a fan of other things. Like Steve Kerr is, is a 49er interested in the 49ers, not a mm. 49ers fan. So he's kind of interested in kind of some of the things you've heard. You know, Steve asks me about the 49ers all the time too, but not as much as Bob. Uh, and I, I joke with Lynch a couple times. Like I think Bob might want to come work for the 49ers. I mean, yeah. I, I, cool. you know, did he I, midwife this whole Nick Bosa <laughs> contract situation? I mean, was, there was conversations. Like Lynch brought it up himself, so it's open topic. Uh, I think, from my understanding, there just was conversations about the nego- how do you go about this negotiation. Now, Bob never had one like this because, listen, the NBA has max salaries. What, are you not going to give Steph the max salary? Or, I mean, do you have to? It's, it's just how mm-hmm. are you going to present it to him on a piece of, you know, on a plate or on a gold platter? Or like, yeah, that's the only negotiation with Steph. But, I mean, there were minor negotiations with Steph, which he certainly, you know, it was team option, not team, you know, that kind of stuff. But I think just the, the way you deal with a superstar in a heated negotiation my understanding, those were the conversations and because he's so close to Lynch, because he knows Parag. Uh, I think he just met Jed. I saw him chat with Jed on the sidelines uh, yesterday. Looks like they were just meeting each other, but they had a good talk. Uh, I just think it's like the formulation. How when it gets tough over here with this thing, how do you negotiate this category? And what you know, my interpretation was just kind of the, the big picture of a hugely intense and important negotiation. Unlike the you know Myers ever had like he's not he's not had a holdout he's had nothing like that but he certainly had to deal with people uh, and stars and agents and I think that's what intrigues and should intrigue a lot of teams in the NBA or wherever about Myers is now that he's a free agent it, it yeah somebody told me an NFL person told me this it was yesterday because we just say hey there's Bob Myers he said. You know, I said, I don't know that he could like run a team. And the person said, he wouldn't need to know the, the sport to run a team. Like you just need mm. the people skills, the negotiation skills, and you learn the sport. And then you know who to put in charge of the stuff that you don't know. Now, I, I think that's yeah. a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's interesting. I was telling this person, um, NFL person, that it's interesting for me to talk through these things from the, you know, the scope of Bob Myers, because People understand my take on Bob, and they understand, I think I have a pretty good one. I have a pretty good view of him, of what his strengths are, what he's done, the things that that happen with the Warriors. So they're kind of filling their cup with what I know about Bob, and they're asking me to translate their situation through what they view Bob. It's pretty. It's, a, it's an interesting way for me to look at other teams, I'll put it that way. Yeah, I like thinking about it too, and I like the differences, and... I think football is just so it's it's so different from basketball because as you were saying, max contract, they don't even need an agent. That, yep. That's just rubber, rubber stamp. But it's also in basketball. Yeah, there's a little bit of certain positions give you different strengths. Um, but for the most part, if you're great, you're great. Football is strange because you've got that hard salary cap. And you're also just juggling with this idea of certain positions being so much more valuable than other positions, because I do have some international listeners. We were describing a situation where 
um, a defensive end on the 49ers, the guy who attacks the quarterback, crushes the quarterback, uh, was holding out for as much money as he could possibly get. And then that forces you into the situation of going, well, how valuable is this guy? If this is going to reduce our opportunities to spend elsewhere, how much does this matter? I, I think it is the second most important position in football. Um, I'm guessing you would agree there. Yeah, but second, that puts or, you in, second or third left tackle. I mean, you know, mm. there's a movie based on that one, which, which now was in question. But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I would say about yeah. left tackle, though, I think left tackle. And this is again, I'm not Mr. Football Man, as you know. You, you, there's probably less of a separation between the mid tier and great for left tackle than there is for defensive end. As yeah, far I as totally I, I think if you don't have a left tackle who's average, it's worse. Yes. Yes. But then if you have the difference between average and great, isn't as different is, is as large as a pass rusher between average and great that I agree with. There's like four pass rushers in the NFL that are worth everything. And then beyond that, you know, you know, you've got a lot, probably 25 really good ones. And I don't think you have 25 really good left tackles. So the difference, yeah, you're right. You, once you get one, if you get one though, you, you, you yeah. absolutely want one. It, it is the interesting way, you know, Shanahan Lynch, it's never really been detailed. They don't want to talk through it, but they, they have this valuing of positions. They do have this, like when they were hired, uh, Jed York and Parag Marate executives, like one had said, gave them this like board and, allocate your resources where you think the position should be allocated. Like, where do you think the greatest amount of money should be allocated to what mm. position? And they both said defensive line. That is, and that's one of the reasons yeah. why I respect Shanahan. I, I just respect offensive coaches and generally who respect defense. I've covered some really good offensive corners. They just don't, they don't think about defense or they don't talk to defensive players. They don't have the respect of defensive players. Shanahan, Jim Harbaugh was another one who absolutely does. Shanahan absolutely, like, he, like, worries about defensive players. He cares about them because they crush his, you know, offense sometimes. So he and Lynch, John Lynch is a defensive player, a, 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 a Hall of Fame safety, and won Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, one of the greatest defenses of all time. They both put all, you know, the majority of the resources or the most resources we say of any position on defensive line. And after that, I'm not sure because the Shanahan's have not paid tons for offensive linemen in the past. But again, mm. the best one is what matters. Like, so you don't generally put a lot of money in offensive line. You think you can coach it, but the best one is the premium value. That's the classic thing. The Shanahan's are like the lead from Mike Shanahan back of the Broncos. Their running backs are replaceable. You can just keep churning through running backs. There's so many come out every year. They burn out so swiftly. So the worst thing you can do is pay a fourth-year running back $20 million, screw up the balance of your cap, and then he gets hurt or gets bad in year five, and you're done. Yet, huh. Christian McCaffrey becomes available. Yeah, that's <laughs> the, and they're like, everything possible, let's get this guy. Because the difference between Christian McCaffrey or you know the one of the top four running backs in the league. He's probably one of the top two and everyone else is that great. So you don't overpay for the wrong people, but you, when you get the right person in there, it does not matter what position usually, although I don't think they would pay great money for a guard or a safety. Uh, but like even mm. a, the position where it's, you know, all off season was talking about how the running back position has been unfairly limited in, in their earning powers. And I understand a lot of it. I understand why, 
the player, you know, running backs are frustrated. But the 49ers are the, come from the family that has kind of devalued running backs the most. And they went out and got the highest paid running back, <laughs> gave up all these draft picks. And guess what? It's been an incredible run. Incredible. One of the great acquisitions yeah. of, of recent NFL history. It has. And he's been fantastic. I think part of it is that he is technically a running back, but he's also a wide receiver. So they would have thought much less of his value if he was just the traditional running back. Um, But it's interesting. I I always like when, um, when executives who played almost diminished themselves or their own or their own role, because you talked about Lynch's focus on the, the D line. And I remember a story that he told where um, when he was playing for the Dungy Tampa Bay Bucks, um, I guess Warren Sapp, for those who don't know, uh, one of the greatest interior linemen in NFL history, but a wild guy and he was being wild and he was causing problems. And so Derek Brooks and John Lynch went to Tony Dungy and said, you got to do something. You got to hold him out of a game, some sort of punishment. And Dungy paraphrasing the Lynch story said, look, I love both of you. You're both hall of famers in my book, but John, I can, I can win without you. I can do it. And Derek, I can figure it out. I, I can do it. I can't win without 99. I, yeah. I can't I can't do it. So you guys got to figure something out and talk to the guy because I, I can't do it. And that story that Lynch told uh, stuck with me a bit where, yeah, he probably thinks a lot of himself. And um, you would assume that he would assume from his playing career that a safety is the biggest impact position, but even by his own retelling and his own experience. Yeah. I have an impact, but I don't have an impact. Like that guy has an impact. Yeah. But I mean, especially in the modern era and I mean, you know, SAP was not from in the latest era, but putting pressure on a quarterback is passing league. You know, that's why quarterback is the most important position. The guy who can chase the quarterback is the second most important <laughs> because this is where the, the yards guy are. Who protects the quarterback. The guy, yeah, the yeah, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> there it is. Uh, the, whole the, ecosystem. Three, the three, those are the, and they're getting, those are the players that make the most money. It's just, that's the way that works. The <laughs> NFL's kind of parcel it out that way. It's interesting. You know, Howie Roseman, uh, the president GM of the Eagles has done an incredible job, obviously a fantastic, maybe the model organization in the NFL right now, uh, replacing the Patriots, uh, does not put a high value on linebackers at all. Like you, they just won't, you just look at it. Like they have mm. never had star linebackers. Don't care to have them. They draft them, and, and if they're good, that's fine. But once they're, you know, it's time to pay them money, they're gone. And they just, you can just tell, it just feels different. It's a front line secondary defense, solid, not great. Um, and the difference is, and I just come from maybe an era because I, you know, I came up as a young writer covering the Eagles in the late 80s, 90s, and that's with the Giants and Lawrence Taylor. And they're just like linebackers were part of what I felt were most important. And it's just interesting to see that. And yet the four Niners have had these, you know, have these incredible linebackers. And you can tell Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw, you just don't get easy stuff against them. That those no. little quick passes over the middle, which was interesting. They they gave them up to the Rams in the in the first half last week, which was weird to see. Uh, but the four Niners have this tradition going back to a previous administration, Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman and Vic Fangio is someone I, you know, I'm pretty close to. I've covered a lot. Now the defense coordinator with the Miami Dolphins. Linebackers are freaking important. He coaches linebackers. Like he, mm. they, they chase the easy stuff. You just can't get that simple little eight yard gain when nothing else is open because Fred Warner is going to go intercepted. 
Drake yeah. Greenlaw is going to chase it down. Now, Drake Greenlaw is going to get a personal foul in the game, too, for a late <laughs> hit, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, it's just the way these teams view and, and you know, it gets altered along the way. I'm sure if you told Holly Roseman, we'll give you, you know, Fred Warner right now. He's not going to say no, but mm-hmm. it's just the emphasis of it. The smartest teams have to think this way. Yeah. And you see the dumb teams. You can just see dumb teams that change your allocations and don't really have an idea. You can just the Chicago Bears. Like they're just yeah. haphazard on. We want this guy now, but wait, we got to change this and get rid of these two guys and get this guy over here. You're like, well, it doesn't make sense. Like what you're doing, there's no structure to it. Four Niners have messed up. Obviously, we can talk about the Trey Lance thing, but there was a structure to it. There was a thought process to it. I agreed with it at the time. It did not turn out well. They got lucky uh, by getting Brock Purdy a year later, last pick in the draft. If they don't have him, there's a whole different conversation. But at least there was, like, here's the stages that we're building. Here's where we're going to, and we want to do it this way, and this is how we're going to do it. And I, that is something that I recognize with the 49ers, and I think it's big picture if you just, like, Piece by piece, by move, yeah. by move, by move. This is how they've gotten to where they are right now. Well, there there might be a theme here because what gives Warner a lot of his value is that he's out there covering like a cornerback at times. Yeah. So he is yeah. a linebacker technically, but he's got this skill set that elevates him beyond what a traditional 1990s linebacker would do. So maybe if you're an Eagle, if you're the Eagles, you wouldn't even see him if you... You know, if you wouldn't even yeah, see well, I mean, him as he's that like, role. Yeah, he's like an old-time safety is what he is. Uh, and, yeah. like, remember the middle linebackers were the Mike Singletary, you know, going way back. Mike Nitschke. Like, the, they were guys mm-hmm. that you would not want in coverage ever. And the NFL didn't throw that much, so you didn't need them in coverage. Fred Warner is a middle linebacker. Like, he, that is the Mike. That's what they, they, When the quarterback's getting over the line of scrimmage, he goes, that's the Mike. I've never 100% understood why they have to scream out, that's the mic. But it, is, it sets protection. It sets, I'm sure it sets their formation. It just seems like pretty obvious. Yeah, Fred Warner's the mic. That's who the middle linebacker is. Uh, 54, 54 is the mic. Um, but he's, you know, he, he plays the run, you know, with speed, not so much power. And he obviously is an incredible coverage linebacker. It just, I, I just don't like watching defenses that don't have linebackers that can chase. Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman for the old four niners were just like the, 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 the essence of that. And you just didn't get easy yards against them. And I do see some other teams that don't have these kinds of linebackers and they give up easy yards, bad quarterbacks. I just see like these bad quarterback, Daniel Jones, not a great quarterback, I'm making a ton of money for the giants, but pretty bad quarterback. Like just not. Mm, top that's like the first, our first hot take. Yeah, of the, take uh, well, that's like Daniel Jones, the bad quarterback. Yeah. He's, I don't not know. he's, he's a guy where there's a wide range of what yeah. people assess. I'll just, which, here's my theme. Yeah. Here's how I'm approaching it. He can beat bad defenses like that. I, he can get mm. yards and he can beat bad defenses. You put him against a structured fast defense. He looks like he looked last night. Now Thursday night game weird, but you know he got destroyed by the Cowboys. Like there's a, there's a line there, and if I'm a defensive coordinator, or if I'm a freaking head coach who has a defensive coordinator, I'm saying we can we have to design a defense where these crappy quarterbacks can't beat us. Don't the great ones are going to do whatever? Like what are you going to do against the great Jalen Hurts and Joe Burrow and, and Patrick Mahomes and all that? You want to be as competitive as you can against those guys, and you don't want to try to make them and you know force them into mistakes. Sometimes they're going to beat you, like they've beaten the four Niners. 
but you can't let the crappy quarterbacks beat you. And again, from when I covered Fangio, this was just lined into me. And Buddy Ryan with the Eagles was a similar thing. Crappy quarterbacks did not beat them. <laughs> like they were not mm. going to beat these defenses. Belichick's the same way. And I just, to, to Daniel Jones feels like right on the line of that kind of quarterback. You play bad defense, you give them easy outs. You can't play the run, play, can't play his run, uh, then you're going to lose. And if you can, you're going to win. It just seems like that's such a line of demarcation to me. And I think yeah. linebackers, <laughs> to me, now Howie Roseman's proving me wrong. I'm not saying I'm smarter than Howie Roseman. He's freaking amazing. But it just feels like Patrick Willis made sure that some crap quarterback wasn't going to beat the Harbaugh 49ers. And it feels like Fred Warner in in a, you know, again, hugely overstating general way. But that's how I'm seeing it. Daniel Jones is not beating Fred Warner. And mm. everything else fills out from there in the way I look at it, which, again, it's a very Fangio yeah. linebacker centric way. Parcells, linebacker guy. Like I just those are the kind of guys I I kind of like I get that. I get the base of that. And I would want linebackers. I sure as hell would definitely want linebackers. I mean, I, I want the kind of linebackers the Niners have. Yeah, you I want good ones. It's like saying, I want that. I want you to upset her like Jokic. Just go get Jokic. Like, just, yeah, well, well, come yeah. just go get Jokic. Go get him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I feel about it. But we are teasing. I mean, we're getting way too slow into the hottest topic in the local radio, at times in national sports media. And you hit the nail on the head with today's column. I mean, I even was starting to write about it and still might. I am fascinated by the Brock Purdy conversation. I'm interested in Brock Purdy. I'm interested in the trajectory of the last pick guy in the draft winding up um, as the quarterback for the team with uh, perhaps the best Super Bowl odds and doing really well and, and, the, and the whole thing of it. But more interesting to me, Tim, is I, I because you finally said it. You finally said it because I was thinking, I'm wondering, sometimes when you're observing something locally, you don't totally know what the conversation is. And I, I often feel like there's a lot of over-analysis and skepticism to a degree that feels unwarranted. I, I clipped this part of your column.